welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. I've done some great episodes with Joshua. He talked about his uh, porn recovery addiction and his story. His uh, website is recoveringpornaddict.com. We've already delved into his story and now we're going to do a live coaching call so you can see him in action. Joshua, jump in. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me back here and I appreciate you being a public uh, volunteer. I don't want to say victim. Uh, we'll say volunteer. <laughs> we'll say volunteer so people can see this process. Um, to you know, explain it a little better, I think I touched upon it during your show, but to explain it better, you know, I am a recovering porn addict. I'm also a recovering alcoholic. I have six years of recovery behind me without a single uh, relapse, you know, and uh, Hopefully that'll keep going. Um, I am also now a certified uh, life coach and I have, while I technically cannot be certified as a sex and porn uh, addiction coach because um, I don't have, basically it's a continuing education certificate uh, that is given already to established therapists um, who, are, who are licensed. I can't get that official designation. I have been through a course of that as well, not to mention the fact that I have been on the other side of uh, this conversation many times. Uh, I've worked with probably about 20, 25 clients right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was also the guy who had to go through all the therapy. I've been to two uh, rehabilitation centers, one for 10 weeks alcohol, one for seven weeks pornography. Uh, I have read, I would, I would challenge almost any mental health professional to have read as much as I have and uh, yeah I, I, I also am a uh, investigative journalist by trade so I am pretty good which at, is uh, so cool that that was your background I remember when we were talking I was trying to figure out like what did you do before that you do now and it was so it was so great how it's amazing the things that we do even prior to our big struggle it wasn't really prior to your big struggle because you talked uh, pretty in depth about how these were issues, the alcoholism and the, the porn addiction. Addiction was an issue before the blow up. Right. Oh, yeah. Addiction was an issue back to middle school. Right, right. And so a lot of times when I get on with guests and they're telling me their story of struggle, I'm like, there's always a story before the story. Yeah. There, there's a lot. And this is a perfect example of that. Now, you have a book. Well, you have a yes. couple books yes, and I, I read one of the books, um, you sent it to me and I don't always get a chance to do that before an interview, but I did. And I mentioned on our first, yay, yes, yeah, I'm a porn addict, now what? I read your book and I was surprised because I've never given porn addiction much thought at all. And when I read it, I told you, I was like, it triggered me. And when we were on the interview, like, well, how so? And I... I told you a way, you know, I answered the question, but I didn't answer the question all the way. So in our conversations afterwards, I'm like, no, I realize out of four relationships, three of them involved porn to a pretty big degree. And that's what triggered me in reading your book. And I don't know if trigger is a great word, but I, I realized that I had some. You had, you had an aha moment. I definitely had a huge aha moment reading your book. It was a great book. That's one part of it. But um, yeah, I didn't. 
I didn't, it was unexpected. Let's put it that way. So you and I had conversations and that's why I'm, a, I'm actually a good fit as a coaching client. I, I, I think so. And, uh, you know, we uh, probably should say that this is uh, the culmination of about a week of very short emails between us mm -hmm. as we talked about what the issue would, would be. Uh, usually when, you know, usually when somebody comes to me um, and asks me for help, it's either an addict themselves who's just like, how can I get this under control? What can I do um, to, you know, what's my next step? Because uh, I always, or it's a partner who is like, he's, he's a porn addict. Now what? That's why I named the book that because somebody literally asked me that one time. Um, <laughs> That's and, awesome. No. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I also stress to people that I, should not be the end-all be-all of what you were doing. Um, I do not have a medical degree. I did not go to school for years to become a therapist. Um, like I said, I've got a background that uh, I would put up against many therapists, uh, mm -hmm. especially with the ex experiential part of it. But I see myself really as a bridge from you doing nothing to going and getting help. Um, you're only going to get through trauma. You're only going to get through addictions and develop new tools. You're only going to really get to examine your backstory over a long length of time. And you should do it with somebody who has more experience than I do, mm -hmm. who is more learned in the uh, medical, uh, physio, physiobiological aspects of what it is I do. I basically just try to facilitate the idea within you that it's time to do more. Um, with a lot of people, I will, you know, you'll, as you'll find with me, I, I might needle you a little bit. I might yeah. play devil's advocate a little bit. I might be a little confrontational and you might not think it's fair, but you're going to get a lot of that in therapy if your therapist is any good and not what? just sitting, not just sitting there nodding and writing notes. True. And one thing that I really appreciate from our past interview and that you've already stated, you've gone through therapy and you are a huge advocate for therapy as long as you find the right fit in a therapist. And I've always thought, you know, it's not, I've seen therapists that um, I haven't clicked with or didn't do as much. And then I've had therapists that have been amazing. And I don't know that they're like one man's trash is another man's treasure. They, they have all these high ratings and people love working with them, but it wasn't a good fit for me. And on right. the show, the last time you discussed that, like really finding someone who's a good fit for you. And also that you've been through the rehabilitation. So you're very pro you know, get your shit together and do what you need to do by the people that are going to help you in the right way. Right. Make sure it's I, a right fit, but get right, it. Right. I, I try not to talk down to people who just give lip service to getting better. I try mm -hmm. not to talk down to, or, or, you know, or seem too above people who I think are using modalities that may help in the short term, but won't do anything long-term such as the whole no fap cult that's out there. That is basically the pseudoscience of starving your brain of dopamine to reset yourself, which is really a bunch of BS. Um, okay. And the other thing is, it doesn't deal with any of your uh, problems of the past. You know, I can lose, I can, if I'm overweight, I can lose 100 pounds, but it doesn't mean that I've dealt with why I became overweight in the first place. That's a great um, analogy. 
that's so that, that, yeah. that's why that's why I'm not a huge fan of that modality. There are things uh, about those 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 other places that work. You know, a, a fellowship having goals they can be good, but I don't think they are long term. I think that it has proven over time that working with professionals has the highest success rate, and that's why I see my job as trying to deliver you to the professionals in a better place than you've been before. Because while I may be con confrontational, why I may needle you a little bit, why I may flat out say, I don't think you're telling me the truth, even if you don't realize it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's because um, I think that you just need to unlock some things. And when you unlock those things, you want to go learn more about them. You want to right. go, you know, I, I, I I really try to let people know that even if I am being that way, this is a super safe space. Now, obviously, it's a little strange because we have X number of people watching. And theoretically, there are people watching five years from when we uh, right, right. recorded this. So you may be in a di very different place at that point. I may be in a very different place at that point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hopefully... Uh, what we're talking about here, you know, is still open enough. If you know, you can only be as open as you decide you want to be, whether the world is watching or it's just you and I. Right. So it's 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 largely on your shoulders, um, uh, how how open or not you want to be. And uh, like I said, judgment free. If you feel like I'm judging you, that's fine. It's a confrontation. I really, I don't want to say I don't care, but I'm in your corner. I support you. I hope we discover some things together. Mm -hmm. And I hope that when it comes to uh, my regular clients, that they will go on and figure out really what road is even best for them and, and go to do that. So, um yeah, we, we talked uh, online because it wasn't incredibly obvious what you needed right away. It wasn't a matter right. of, I'm, a, I'm an addict or he's an addict. What do I do? Uh, right, and it's not a current relationship. In four serious right. relationships, it's been three past. And I know part of my hesitation, or, or I'm going to say part of my hesitation is in protecting those people too. Right. You right. know, if I hold back a little bit. So um, I don't want people to think I'm holding back intentionally. I am willing to be pretty open about everything, but I am protective of the other person involved, if that makes yeah. sense. No, it does make sense. usually you're not talking to them. Usually it would just be you and I, and I wouldn't care if I threw someone under the bus or made a comment. We're in this, right. in this mode I do. So it, it, it has been in my, in three past relationships that porn has come up. Right. No, I, I understand that. Um, I, uh, you know, in the first episode, I talked about how I had a babysitter who was uh, abusive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've never said her name aloud, except it, yep. at therapy. Um, I've never printed it in a book. Um, I try to make sure I never give any, uh, go too deep on any uh, description, because uh, there were members of her family who I liked as a little kid, and who mm -hmm. I don't want to stumble upon my work now and go, oh, my God, my mom did this, or my grandmother right. did this, exactly. or my neighbor, my neighbor did this. So I do understand that if you do need self to self-censor, that's completely understood. Right. Like I said, uh, you know, it's really up to the uh, client how much they want to share anyway. I can only right. deal with that much. So um, that said, before, you know, we run out of time for today, we have, <laughs> for people watching, we have scheduled uh, two sessions, one for today and one that we will do again soon. Mm -hmm. uh, and that 
is largely how I work. Um, I deal with people on a session-to-session -session, uh, basis. Uh, most people last five to six with me and then are ready to take it to the next level. Um, I, I wanted to do two. If you feel like we're done after one, that's cool. If you want to go to that second one, that's fine. If you want to do a third one, I'm going to start charging you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I also look at this as while I'm asking the questions, you're really deciding the route that we're going and mm -hmm. I'm just kind of pointing out signs along the way asking the questions if at any point you completely disagree with me if at any point you don't like the road that we're going down mention it we'll back up we'll go down a different road okay uh, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable or feel like you know I'm leading you somewhere for some great revelation when a fact is I may not be um uh, and, and if I have a great revelation, I'll usually tell you right away and ask what you think about it. Okay. Uh, so it seems to me in the, and I've got notes here, so you'll see me looking down a lot. It seems to me in the emails that we exchanged, uh, one of the big things you talked about, you've been in four major relationships in your life. Define major relationship. I was either married to the person or it was long-term, more than three years. It had a significant impact on me also. Okay. Uh, how old are you, if you don't mind sharing? 49. 49. Okay. These four relationships, mm -hmm. what year did they start and how many years leading up to today would you say they are together? The first one was 19. I was 19. Okay. So we're talking, thir we're talking 30 years, mm -hmm. four major relationships. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Yes. And, and if you add up the years that they were together, how much of those 30 years are with those four men? 26. And how long has it been with the last one who you say is fine? Six. Six. Okay. Um, and by this point in all the other relationships, you recognize something was wrong. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily attribute it to pornography. Um, only one time was addiction an issue from the beginning. He was um, an right. addict in NA um, yeah, and we'll, had a lot of clean. We'll time. get we'll get to them. All okay, I want to okay. all I want all I want to establish is that I have a feeling people watching are probably playing along mm -hmm. and being like, "Ask her this next." Ask her okay, this okay. next. <laughs> I just I. I just want to establish that your current relationship is healthy. It's yeah. not that you've been with a guy for three months and you think he's fine. And they're, no, no, you know, it's been six you're, years. You're ignoring, yeah, you're not ignoring red flags. You're not <laughs> no. going to probably recreate. I just, this is more to show that you're yep. in a different space now. We're going to be talking about the past Correct. and some things that you, you may or may not have done. Uh, correct or incorrect there. Um, now, um, Talk about the first guy when you were 19. Uh, the notes that I have here that you gave me, uh, he was a serial cheater. Yeah. Uh, now, in, you, you see, also, he also wanted to be, uh, kind of have an open relationship, yeah. potentially be a swinger. Uh, you were in this relationship for three years. Did you know he was this way going into it? No, but I think I was very young and so was he. And it was never a topic of discussion. As a matter of fact, in my, from my vantage point, and I, I love that I have so much retrospect, in my vantage point, it was like a flipping a switch. So we went from being very monogamous, very in love, very happy, best friends. Um, and then 
you know, a year and on our one year anniversary of getting married, which was a year and nine months into the relationship, that was the conversation about swinging. And I didn't know anything about infidelity at that point. Um, Had he been unfaithful to you during that entire time? I don't know, okay. actually. And I don't think so. So I, I'm, I'm guessing no. I, you know, we were young. We wanted to have kids. I went through infertility. He was very on board. I think you go through issues in your relationship that you think you're on board for. Oh, let's have a baby. And yeah, you need to go to a doctor to see what's wrong sort of thing. And it ends up being a much bigger situation and very emotionally overwhelming. Um, his parents were religious. I think he got married. I think we would have ended up getting married, but it was definitely a lot of pressure from parents. So the timing, he wasn't really ready. I did. I also didn't know that at the time or the conversation would have been much different. I was fine living with each other or, you know, marriage didn't have to be on the table at that point in time. When he asked, I thought he asked because he was ready and he wanted to. I didn't realize he was getting so much outside pressure. So I think that outside pressure, then being excited, I feel like he was always genuine about his feelings towards me. We were really good friends. We had a great relationship. And then I think deciding, uh, he joined the Air Force. So we went through basic training and all of that, um, made very little money. We both worked two jobs. So he worked a job on top of the Air Force. Um, we were moved around. We didn't know people. I think there are a lot of things, none of which are super horrible, but when you start adding them together or you're really young, um, I know neither one of us was great at communicating at that point. Um, he was very breast your cards sort of person. So when he communicated, he did very well, but he didn't do it on an ongoing regular basis. So we didn't touch base a lot. And he didn't tell me, you know, I feel like I got married too young because my parents pushed me into it. And yeah, I wanted to have kids, but then when you started infertility, it was way too much to handle. We didn't have those conversations that might've made a difference later on. So I did go through infertility and I, I did end up getting pregnant and um, it, it was a very difficult situation physically for me, emotionally for the relationship. And when she was three months old is the first affair that I know about. So, um, and I, I, we started to go to counseling immediately and a year later, a year of therapy and a year later and I left. So you went, you went to therapy immediately after you find out he cheated. Yes. Okay. And I didn't uh, want to leave because of that. I wanted to keep it together, but the infidelity from that point moving forward was regular. How often did he bring up uh, having an open sexual relationship and, and being, you know, in a swinging lifestyle? I think after that first time, it, I don't remember it coming up a whole lot but he tried to now i was 19 when we got married we met when i was 18 and i had had a few partners but i didn't have a ton of experience if yeah. that makes sense yeah so i was pretty naive i mean i was excited i learned how to have my first orgasm you know i mean it was like it was a very new frontier for me so after the conversation about swinging and i remember i mean i said to him I can understand that you may still have this desire, like you haven't sown all your oats and you want to go have sex with another woman. Okay. Part of my brain, I can actually maybe even understand that. What I can't understand is that you'd shake some man's hand, pat him on, you know, pat him on the shoulder and let him walk away with me. Knowing like, I can't wrap my mind around you being okay 
with swapping with another couple and looking at this guy, knowing what we're going to go do. And in your mind, you're totally okay with that. And that's not something I'm interested in. I, you know, I, I, I'm not okay with that situation being open that way. And I think it would be the beginning of the end. And I think my reaction in that conversation bottled it for him. So I, in my mind, swinging was the way, the lifestyle that allowed him to do what he wanted. It green flagged it. You can now have sex with other women. Um, so you, th you think he found that swinging was a lifestyle option and glommed onto it? And yeah, because it gave him the ability to do what he wanted. Yes, okay. I do. Uh, okay. um, and we've never had a conversation. I mean, clearly this has been 30 years. So we've never had a conversation negating that um, <clears throat> because we had a child together. I mean, we were, we've, we were in touch. She's turning 28 now. So until 10 years ago, you know, we were in touch um, and we had some really great conversations separate but I, I, I never had a discussion with him after we separated, uh, after we divorced about the infidelity or wanting to swing yeah. or like, what were you There's, thinking? And right. I've, it's so, never happened. But we did go through a year of therapy. You did, you did mention that there was some porn use there. I Just... think that's the other thing is that when I was like, swinging is not really for me. And again, I don't know the answer to this. So this is where definitely you can jump in i feel like he needed to one up the adrenaline for sex or the like it took more like being with me all the time and just me became boring yeah okay and so he introduced porn so i saw my first porn with him um and i, I think i was the interesting thing is that i was so naive at the time i needed to wade into those waters pretty slowly um, I came from a dysfunctional background sexually. I, I needed to figure out how I felt about things and what that meant from the, like a woman who enjoys sex. You know, when I grew up, it the girl was a slut and the guy was a stud. So just normal social, these social norms right. that we have right. and feeling okay, like, no, I really like sex and I don't feel like a slut. I'm like, I've come to terms with that. So bringing porn into the situation for me was was pretty early on or we had been dating for a while um it was the first time was before we were married so within the first nine months of the relationship and i told him i don't know how i feel about that and maybe because some of it felt good and that made me uncomfortable right it, it definitely he was kind of zero to 60 with that and i mean retrospectively a year and a half you, after you meet somebody when you're married talking about swinging is kind of zero to 60 in my mind right do you know what his porn use was prior to you getting together and i never asked him a whole lot i know it was something regular i know he also had relationships with older women um where he accepted gifts so was, so it sounds, I mean, like, it sounds like there was some hypersexuality kind of just under the surface there. There was. I, his sophomore teacher in high school was one of his first really major sexual experiences. And wow. he was a very attractive man. Um, he was picked up to model. And I think he got, a, he got a lot of attention from women and older women that before cougars were cool, you know? Yeah. yeah, a lot of attention in that way. And that attention feels good. 
I don't fault him oh, that. Well, and if these obviously. women wanted to let him borrow their convertible or buy him some clothes and what, so, uh, yeah. What was the, uh, what was the frequency and use of pornography in your relationship after he introduced it? Um, he only at, he showed me a couple things once and then he he didn't for a while. And again, that was, I didn't have an angry, upset, awful reaction, but I'm very, I know I'm honest. Like, yeah, I, you know, I might like some of this, but I didn't like that. And I don't, I'm not at the point, I don't need it to want to have sex or have sex better. So I think I was not understanding why it needed to be brought into the relationship. And I'm sure even though it was a brief conversation, I didn't handle it well. Are we talking mainly kind of vanilla porn, man on woman, nothing? Yes. Swinging from yeah, the chandeliers. Not, well, with, Deep no. Throat was the first thing he showed me. Okay. So, so, now, I don't, so at least a classic. Which in and of itself is, is a little bit of a weird movie. but uh, It threw me off. So, so right. retrospectively... I've seen porn since then, and that should not have been the launch video. You know, right, like right. That's very different than right. Watch. I mean, people who are young who might be listening to us, uh, porn movies were actually porn movies with big stories and out <laughs> out there plots, and and you know, it, it was. I'm not urging anybody to go look at it, but no. the 1970s was a a, a strange yeah. time for filmmaking. Well, it was a strange time for a lot of things, and I was I was born in '70, and so sexuality just as a whole, very different, very different. And so he did rent, he did get one video. It was made by Playboy, from what I remember, and it was actually a massage video. So it was soft porn under the guise of massage, like right. how how you can give a better massage, right? Okay, cool. Um, with two naked people. Okay, that's fine. Exchanging massages, not a super big deal that led to more. The only fault I would still find with that is that they can be two separate things. Sex and massage don't aren't necessarily synonymous. So, but it wasn't offensive. It actually there were tips in there on how to give a better massage and if you can use massage and touching in your personal relationship and it initiates sex. That, that was fine. Starting with something more like that probably would have been a better way to segue that into our relationship. So part of it was kind of like way too much, way too soon. And now I feel used car salesman -y. Right. No, I, I understand that. Yeah. Um, so you end up uh, going to therapy for a year. Uh, that doesn't create the answers that you're looking for. There's the divorce. How long is it until you find uh, bachelor number two? Um, our divorce took a really long time. So um, it was at least a year. Every time I think it's been a minimum of a year. I don't really date a whole lot. Um, I'm not particularly interested. Um, I like therapy. So like you, I think when you find the right therapist, it's tremendously helpful. Um, so it was at least a year. Actually, okay. that's not true. I left when she was a year old and it was, she was three. So there were two years in between, roughly, just under. Okay. Um, this guy, I, uh, from what you described, sounds like the most interesting of the, uh, of, of the group. Um, 
talk about his uh, opinions a little bit about a woman's role when it comes to sex, his role when it comes to sex and, and being a duty, and the fact that ah. despite the fact that you weren't uh, by any means a, uh, you know, know-it-all in the bedroom he was uncomfortable because he felt you were more experienced so the background to this is we were both in a very strict religion where premarital sex was not acceptable so our first the first time we had sex was after we were married um and it was his first time so that's a precursor so in that regard i had all this experience right because i mean i'd had i had a child i had had sex before i had had so you're about 24 at this time Yep. How old is he? 28. So he's, he's 28 and still a virgin. Right. In a strict okay. religion. Okay. So I think um, I, I'm not, I'm not part of that religion at all. Um, I was for a while. I really loved family. I was really searching in my life for right. family values. And um, I, I felt honestly like have, and I was Christian. So having a religion that had super strong family values uh, where everyone's on the same page with that, that made sense. Um, so that it started out that way where he was uncomfortable. Like if I said, Oh, I'd like to try this position. Well, is that because I had, I used that past position with someone else and I enjoyed it. And you know, like it, that's just, that's your mind playing tricks, whether that's the case or not. I can't go back and change anything in my past. So I know that right. starting out, we had, it was a, a, there was the strict religion. That was part one. There was his initial experiences with his own sexuality. That was the second part. And the fact that it wasn't my first experiences and that I am a, I'm a woman who really enjoys sex. So I want it and I don't have an issue with that. And so. Were you I, a woman who really enjoyed sex back then? Yeah. Actually, okay. that first relationship that I had, um, that, that first marriage, uh, it was, yes, I really did. I didn't, I would say my first experiences, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't get it. Like I knew I was missing the boat there. I'd never had an orgasm. Guys that are in their teens aren't real. They don't have a map maybe. Like I knew it was really great and I liked it, but I was missing something. And when that occurred, I was like, oh, now I get it. Now I right. get why this is so good and why it's mutually good, not just me right. giving something to someone and feeling like I'm right. left no, hanging. What right. it, when, it, when it works, it works. Right. So in that first relationship, it was, I had, it, I'd never like, yes, wow, this is what it's all about. And I get it. And he wasn't my first orgasm, but definitely my first sexual relationship that was really positive and good. And I was very comfortable. And I enjoyed it and I wanted it and I initiated it. So I, I've never not been in that mindset from that point on. Okay. So guy number two is all new with this and yeah. you like it. You've yeah. been there. He's intimidated. Yeah. And I, now this is the same. We also went through a year of therapy um, at the end. And how long were you with him? How many years? 10, 10 years. Okay. And yeah, I think, there's, I think we all have underlining issues with our sexuality that if they're not resolved, of course, come up in the relationship. So should we have, would things be different if we had had different conversations? Like, Hey, I'm, you're a strong personality and I'm, I'm intimidated discussing sex with you because you have a past. 
maybe that would have been a great way to start having a conversation. We didn't have that. I didn't know that. I didn't have that information until much later. And one of the issues was even in the year of therapy. Did you really not have that information? You didn't know he was a virgin? Oh, no, I knew that. I didn't know that he felt intimidated to talk to me about sex or that he was intimidated by my past or he felt less than we had. I mean, the sex was great. The relation that was not an issue. It wasn't like we had these weird hangups or he was not comfortable talking to me about it. And I know that because that was a conversation we had after our divorce was final where he said, look, I, there's some things that I want to tell you. You're a super strong personality. And I was intimidated. I was intimidated by your past sexual relationships and wondering if I fell short. I was worried that if you wanted to do something, it was because it, you were remembering something with someone else. N never. That was never part of our conversation. Now, you say the sex was good. Mm -hmm. Do you think he thought the sex was good? I don't think he had anything to compare it to. Now, how, was, how do you think that the sex was good if there was such a communication gap? I didn't know that there was a communication gap. Physically, the sex was good, and we were having sex. And then, then what was the problem? From my end, there wasn't much of a problem, except I would have preferred more frequency. So there was, I had no issue with anything. I didn't even know that he had an issue, which makes me feel really bad, because it could have been a really great eye-opening conversation. Do you feel like you should have saw something? Do you feel like oh, it was a blind spot? Do you? Of course. In a lot of ways, in every relationship, I mean, porn and sexuality is just one aspect. And here's the thing. I think I married, I, I think my relationships were with really great men that somehow I wasn't great with, and I'm half of that problem. So even if I try to initiate the conversation, if I'm being if he feels like I'm too strong a personality or I'm too forward about it, or he feels put on the spot, then I'm not doing a good job in my end of the communication or I'm asking the wrong questions. I don't think a marriage or relationship should be uh, an egg hunt, like an Easter egg hunt. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't know that there was an issue. So I didn't, I'm not sure that I knew what questions to ask, but I did start conversations because I enjoyed sex and I, would have wanted to have more and I wanted to know what he enjoyed. And so I initiated conversations around that, but those weren't necessarily the issues. So should I have known? Yeah, maybe I should have. Should I have to search for that? I mean, am I looking for something that might right. not be there? I, I don't know. Was this uh, strong personality um, part of other aspects of the relationship that, that weren't yep. working? I mean, you went to, you went to therapy, so it, it wasn't just for sex. There were other things right. going on. No, it, was, it, was he, was he generally intimidated you by you? Was yes. he, did he feel like he couldn't speak up? Yes. Now I'm, I'm guessing at some point in the therapy, he said, but I try, or I have, and here's what she does. Does he, did he ever say that he tried to speak up and that you shot him down or made him feel smaller or did anything to shut him down or did, did he just feel that he didn't have it in him to ever talk? Yes. He, he didn't say that I shut him down because that was part of the conversation in other aspects of our relationship. Um, this is when I did nine years of foster care. We did nine years of foster care together. We adopted kids. Um, I stopped going to college and supported him in his business. And I have no regrets. There's nothing wrong with those decisions. Um, those are decisions we made together. So there were lots of aspects of the relationship 
not in the business actually he didn't feel that way in the business i I was absolutely the supporting role in that, but in other aspects of the relationship, like foster care, for example, um, it was something that I wanted to do. I knew before we got married, I wanted to, I knew I potentially couldn't have more children. Um, I went into this relationship with a lot of information and a lot of, you know, these are things in my life I would like to do moving forward. You, you just said something interesting where, you know, this was permeating through your relationship except in your business where you supported him. Do you think that's the only place that inside he felt like the alpha? That's possible. He's never expressed that. And we had more breakthroughs in our relationship after the divorce and after the therapy. The thing with therapy is that one, you have to find a good person. And we had a good person we went to for a year. Was it the best person? No, I don't believe that it was the best person. But it was, it was a really good therapist. And it was the person that he chose, that my husband chose to go to therapy with. Um, and he really liked him. And so if you don't bring things up in therapy or when they're presented, if you don't take those deeper dives. So again, part of what your experience that I love is that when you went, you really, when you went to your, your first, um, where you lived there, why am I not rehab? Rehab. Thank you. When you went there and sex addiction wasn't even on the table and you didn't even know that you were one of the people that should have been there. Once you, you deeper dive, you did the deeper dives. When things presented themselves, you were like, okay, we're going to take this and run with it. If you're in therapy or in a treatment facility and something arises and you blow it off or deflect it or bring something else up or go on the defensive or the offensive, there are all these skills you can have to not actually have that conversation. Oh, yeah. And if you're an addict, you're a manipulator by trade. Right. Now, he he ended up um, being gone for for about a year and um he wrote me letters now we'd already gone through a year of counseling and we were processing our divorce during this time the divorce wasn't final till after he was back it took two and a half years and in that period of time was when he was the most honest so he's gone for a year um he was in prison and he's writing me letters um and you know, I kind of wish I had kept at least a couple of them because I think I'd have more enlightened, more aha moments as time progressed, if I could go back and revisit that. But I didn't. I didn't want any of the kids to ever find them. I didn't want anybody to ever find them. I was trying to respect his ability to be open, but then also his privacy. And he told me, I can't ask for forgiveness if you don't know what you're forgiving me for. So we did this year of therapy in which there was a lot of deflection or... Yep. or, or or different tools and tricks. And if you don't deal with the things when you have that professional right there and the ability to do it, you're not getting anywhere. So I felt right. after the letters, like, well, we spent a year spinning our wheels in a situation where he wasn't really willing to put things out there. He did say I was a strong personality. We talked about a couple things, but the letters were when he told me that he had been addicted to porn. Now, Partially because this was in letter format, back and forth, and partially because we were divorcing, um, I didn't ask well, were, how long was the addiction and why do you, you think had it no, was an You addiction? had no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea. No. And in the scheme of things, you're dealing with bigger things. We have, you know, eight well, kids at this if you're point. Not if you're not looking for something, it's really easy to not see it. 
Yeah, and I would have never in a million years guessed. Okay, porn addiction, like, okay. Um, where he went into some of what his issues were and why he thought at, like, in his hindsight that that was affecting a lot of parts of our relationship, including the sexual parts. So instead of telling me he was having issues with porn addiction, he said, you know, I'm not really attracted to you and I'm going to have sex with you once a month. It's my duty as your husband to have a sex. I, I don't know where that came from or why that was brought up. I know that it was hurtful to me. And so I, with my lens now is much different than my lens at the time when you're right. confronted with, okay, there were also other issues there. You know, he was struggling with depression and, um, so it, it's not like this was the only issue and how did I not see it? Well, we're dealing with the depression issue at that point. And we're dealing with the fact that he says he's not attracted to me. And I, I have to deal with that baggage now. I'm not saying, oh, so you're not attracted to me because you're a porn addict. That do never, you, I had he, no idea. Did he mention if he looked at porn pre your relationship? Uh, was it something that was there all 10 years? Did he give you any sense of when it started? I know that there were magazines. So again, we're talking, if he was born in 66, we're products of the seventies, right? We didn't have internet. There was no internet. Right, right. So it was the, you know, friend finds the magazine sort of thing. And yes. And it was the same thing with the first experience with having, having sex for the first time. We did have a conversation about that afterwards. And he said it was kind of disappointing. And I said, what I mean, obviously, you don't want to hear that your partner is disappointed in your sex. Life. Right, right. Why was that disappointing? Well, you know, as a rock climber, you feel like you get to that summit, and it's just this, just this absolute high that you climbed this mountain. You know, you rock climbed it, and you got to the top, and it's. And I'm like, well, that's apples and oranges. You're talking about this adrenaline rush or this, like. Have well, you, you, also, you, you also haven't waited 28 years to climb this mountain. Right. Well, and like, have you, so you've never had an orgasm. You've never masturbated. You never had a wet dream. So what did a vagina bring to this? And I was very, this is where my strong personality was at fault. I remember this conversation, like you've had, you've experienced an orgasm before. What did you think would be different? Cause I was there. You thought that those orgasms that you'd had prior to actual sex somehow the sex would be like climbing this. It would be a completely different experience. And although I think there are different experiences and different levels and like, it's not like climbing a mountain. It's not that much difference. An orgasm to some degree is an orgasm. Right. Do you, do you think that uh, he wasn't feeling the intimacy, intimacy side of things? Because I mean, if, if you're talking straight masturbation versus having sex, um, the, the, with a person, I mean, the only, yeah, the, the, an orgasm is an orgasm. Uh, mm -hmm. the only difference is there's another person there. So right. ment mentally it is, it can be on another level. Did you feel like he was mentally present during? At the, at the time I did. I mean, the whole, the honeymoon experience was, in my perspective, it was a great experience. There was nothing, nothing negative happened. Um, it, we, it was fun. But do I think from several comments put together that he wasn't present? Yeah, if you're feeling intimidated that I have sexual experience and that you're not going to do it for me or you know whatever insecurity you feel around that, um, or you think my mind isn't in the present and it's somewhere in my past, 
then no, I wouldn't think he was 100% present. And I think that that intimacy probably had an impact on it. And, you know, I, I was hopeful that that would be the beginning of many conversations that we'd had. It's not about my past or his sex, so be, or his past sexual experiences. So yeah, you've, you've looked at like porn magazines and masturbated. I haven't done that, but I'm not wondering if your past magazine experiences, but like, I'm not even thinking about that stuff. So I know that he had had some experience. I don't know how much. I don't know when it started. I don't know how much of our relationship. Um, uh, I know he did talk to somebody about it, not in very much depth. And this was a later conversation that he was having an issue with it. And that and someone in the church, not a licensed therapist, someone in the church, a man that he confided in. And he said, I'm having this issue. And what that man said to him was the first conversation you should have is with your wife. But that conversation never happened. Yeah. So in the end, when we're, we're going through this divorce process, we've had a year, he's downloading all this information via letter to me. Um, he, when he, when he was back in the, in the picture um, and seeing kids and having visitation, we we're going through our divorce and we we're living separately. He said he wanted to stay with me. And, he, um, and, but there were, um, I'm trying, I'm, I'm at a loss for the word. There were prerequisites for this to happen. And that's conditions. There were conditions on us being together. And one of his conditions was I had to discuss with him all of my prior sexual experiences. Now, two years has transpired in this period of time, you know, since we went to therapy and then another year, year and a half has transpired. And I said, I'm not, that would not be healthy for our relationship. I'm not going to sit there and tell you about every sexual relationship I've ever had. I, I am, not only do I think it's absolutely not healthy and I can't imagine finding a therapist that would be on board for that, that would not help us in any way. And that's not where I'm living and it shouldn't be where you're living. And I am not willing to stay with you under these conditions. So we were already in the divorce process and I, and I told him, no, I, I, I'm not willing to stay in the relationship. And I'm certainly not willing to stay in a relationship with the conditions that you want to put on me. Um, and I think that that's extremely unhealthy. So, I also think people often say that they're willing to put in the work to, to make that relationship stay together. And you've been in this situation and I think you guys did a fantastic job, but if there's a lot of conditions or you're willing to do the work in only certain ways, again, I mean, we did a year of therapy where we never touched upon probably the top three or four biggest issues in our right. And that's pointless. I can't, it's pointless. We spent yeah. a, a year spinning our wheels, um, pointing fingers, getting angry, and never dealing with any of the issues. Should I have seen that? I don't know. Should the therapist have seen that? I, I mean, I don't know. Did, did, did you not realize those were the big, you were missing the big issues at the time? No, not at all. We went through a year of therapy and I felt like we had a relationship that was really not, we were just not able to bridge the gap and work it out. Now, you say while the uh, sex was good, you enjoyed it, you were present, um, you also said it was not frequent. Right. 
what was the frequency was was the sex that good or were you just making it that good because it was happening so rarely oh that's a great question no like physically it was great sex i mean i enjoyed it and physically i wanted it more um i think you know i've i've been in relationships where it wasn't great sex and it was more frequent and i would take less frequent and better over that um i for whatever you know, it was great sex. I can't, there's not even a way for me to explain why. And in personality, it wouldn't have been the person I would have expected it to be great sex with. We had a really, still, if I sit down and talk to him now, we have great conversations. He yeah. could be one of my closest friends in an instant. We, you know, I mean, there are lots of aspects of our relationship that were really good. And sex was one of them. He was not interested in frequency. But and, I, and I, and I, and I guess that's, you say sex was one of the great places of your relationship. Was it one of the great places of your interpretation of the relationship sure. and, not, and not one of his? Correct. Or why would he not want it more frequently? If you have, whether it's male or female, I don't think matters. If you have, if you both feel like it feels good and you enjoy it and you both want it more, done deal, right? Happens more frequently. Sometimes one or the other of you is off or one week is more than another week or whatever, but there's, a, there's obviously a disconnect. Clearly it was not, it was not something he was interested in. So it was not either physically as good for him or emotionally he couldn't disconnect whatever his, the baggage was. I don't know. But no, in, it, in, in the end, he told you he only was doing it because it was his duty. Yeah. The what last couple feel, of years, actually. What did that feel like when you heard that? you don't want to feel unattractive in a relationship. You don't want to feel unwanted, undesirable. It was extremely hurtful. Um, Sounds like he's putting on a level with, I have to walk the dog because kind of. I don't want the dog to shit in the house. So I have to take it outside. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want her to complain. So I'll go, you know, give it to her for a few minutes and then, you know, yeah, that's what I, did what, like. I did what I have to do. It's my duty as your husband to do this. He walked the dog. Yep. I but mean, you, but you still enjoyed the, you know, sex itself. Yeah, I did. And we would have sex and I didn't feel like he wasn't enjoying it in the moment. It didn't okay. feel like walking the dog necessarily to me. Right. Um, and there's an end point. We're, we both have a happy ending. You know, it, it wasn't like there was anything weird within that moment. Um, and, I, and afterwards I'd say, you know, I, I really love sex with you. And we, we should do it more often. I mean, I really enjoy this. And so I was even initiating conversation as things happened because I didn't understand the disconnect. It wasn't like there was an erectile dysfunction or right. he wasn't able to finish or it, it wasn't anything. There wasn't anything weird. There were no red flags. It was a good sexual encounter that ended. What was his porn use? I don't know. And because that happened, because those conversations do, happened. Do you, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, do you think that everybody says that, oh, this celebrity or that celebrity is full of it when they say they're a sex addict or a porn addict. This is a way to make an excuse. This is a way to remove responsibility from their bad choices. Do you think he really was a porn addict? Do you think he really was 
uh, in this era? Do you think that this was just an avoidance, these letters telling you these mm. things, going through, th was this just avoidance for the fact that whatever, whatever his issue was with sex, because that's his issue and, right. and we won't know it no matter what hypothesis we throw out. Do you think that this really was an issue with him? Did you miss this this much or is he deflecting having the real conversation? I can't answer that 100%. I don't know. But I do know he said that it was a daily issue. He was masturbating to porn daily. So you know, there's, it's amazing how much you can almost live a double life, right? right. You're in this right. marriage, this relationship. So he ran his own business and he worked really hard and it was a successful business and he worked a lot of hours. I was a stay-at-home mom that was a supporting role in the business, which I, lo I loved that part. Um, and he could have spent an extra hour or two or three at work on an almost daily basis. And it wouldn't have occurred to me that it was because there was an issue because he didn't want to come home because right. he was masturbating to porn because his depression was overwhelming. I, it, it doesn't, it didn't occur to me. So when we had that conversation about like, I'll have sex with you once a month because it's my duty. There were a lot of other things in that conversation. Like he'd been considering divorcing me. Um, he wasn't sure that he was in love with me. He didn't know that he wanted to do foster care. I mean, it was not like, I don't want to have sex with you. And that was the big part of the conversation. And again, I think part of that, there's a lot of truth in all of those things. I'm not saying that he was lying, but there's a lot of ways that you can deflect things. So he didn't tell me at that point that porn was an issue. It sounds like he was afraid to, to uh, tell you who he was or what he needed for fear of some kind of abandonment, fear of some kind of shame, fear, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever his issues were, right. he didn't, he didn't want to let you know who he was yes. because of his issues. And, and, and saying that, that I'm such a strong personality, he didn't feel comfortable talking to me made it so that I was the bad guy. It was my problem, right? Cause well, I'm too strong. Well, it sounds like compared to anybody, they would be a, the strong personality. I think that that is a very accurate description. Yes, uh, that's I, true. And I think shame and abandonment are two probably very accurate words. Again, that's not my story. I don't know. I don't think I will ever know the full story. I just remember thinking like, that's what you were afraid to talk to me about? Really? Like yeah. me? That's, you were afraid to talk to me about using porn every single day, that could have been a great conversation. It could have been multiple great conversations. It could have helped him get through it. It could have helped our sex. I mean, like, I like those conversations. They're, did you they're fine. Did you ever mention the introduction of pornography in your first relationship to him? During I your don't relationship? recall. Okay. I don't recall that that it's very possible. I don't recall a specific conversation about that. Um, Here's one issue, though. The church that we were part of is very anti-porn. Right. That's the one first emotional baggage doing something which, wrong. Which is ironic if you look at the statistics of addicts within it. But uh, a that's lot of another, it. That's I mean, they're also anti-divorce, and their divorce right, rate is just right. as high. I mean, yeah. like being in in any specific religion doesn't make right. your divorce. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so yeah. So, yes. Interesting, but. So there's that baggage, that guilt, that from religion. And then if I had mentioned that I had seen some and I didn't really like it that much and he's loving it, maybe there is, it is possible that I had that conversation. The thing is, is that I, I at least like to think that I'm a fairly open person in conversation. 
So even if it wasn't something I was interested in, it could have still been a great conversation. Yeah. Um, I want to jump ahead to the third guy because we're getting so much less done than I hoped, but it is, <laughs> so it is, it is fast. It is fascinating because, and, and this is one of these things that I should probably step in and say, what I like to do is talk to people about a couple different aspects of their lives and then talk about connecting those aspects later on, because okay. that's really what worked for me the most was understanding that life is not compartmentalized. Uh, I, I, I don't know yeah. if I use, I don't know if I use the analogy with you, but I treated my life uh, by design as almost like a jigsaw puzzle where the pieces were apart and they would not touch. And that was my control. Oh, life, is okay. actually, life is actually a puzzle that all the pieces should fit together because you need to see the bigger picture. And right, everything right. is connected one way or another. So I tend to discuss things in compartmentalized areas and then bring things together. So we may need a number three. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, any, anyway, let's, uh, I wanted about 10 more minutes. Uh, let's talk about number three. You end up leaving, divorcing. It's all done with guy number two, husband number two. You then move on. It's at least a year, however long yep. it is. You go on to guy number three. Um, the notes you wrote about him were not, uh, there, there was no fond reminiscence that there might've been with guy number one and two. There was no, Oh, look at me back then. Uh, there seemed like number three was unemotional, your re recollection. Uh, yes. it, 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 it didn't sound good. Can you tell me just a, a little bit about the relationship in general? How long was it? Um, it was seven years. We started out as friends, which actually was great. And again, one of the best friends you could ever have. Um, at the time I had been, I had been single for a while and I said, you know, I had started dating and it was not a fun scene. I didn't love the dating scene. Um, we didn't have anything sexual going on. We hung out a lot. We did a lot. His daughter and my daughter were best friends. Um, they were five, you know, I mean, so we spent a lot of time together. He wasn't looking for a relationship and I wasn't. We hit a point like six months in where I said, you know, I really miss having sex and you're a really good friend. And the dating world out there is not something I'm really excited about. And so would you be open to the possibility of a friends with benefits sort of thing? Like we're spending all this time together. Wouldn't that be great? And he said, no. Now, I knew a lot about him. He was part of NA. He had had, I think at that point, about a decade of clean time. Um, you know, we were friends and he was quitting smoking and I was supporting him. And I mean, we really had a good relationship. And so it started out as friends with benefits. He said no at first. And then after a while, he's like, you know what? I think actually that would be fine. But uh I don't want a long-term relationship. And I'm like, we're all, we're on the same page. If that changes, we'll touch base. So a year later, we had a conversation and he said, you know, I know, I know I should be in love with you. You have all these things about you that I love. We have this great friendship. We've known each other for a year and a half. We've been monogamous for a year, but he's like, I'm not, I'm just really not in love with you. And I know I should be, and I know I'm an asshole and I'm an addict. And I think he used that a lot as a crutch. Like it gave license you know, to, um, be an asshole. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, cause I don't certainly don't want to stereotype. And I said, well, I have feelings for you, but I think it was great that we touched base. I and mean, we went out to dinner and had this 
huge conversation evaluating our relationship. I think I will stay until it's easier to leave than it is to stay. Because if you have no feelings for me in that way, I mean, at some point this will run its course. And retrospectively, that would have probably been a good time to say, you know, shake hands and be like, it was a really fun year. It bridged a gap for both of us. We're really good friends. And, um, but we just kept on keeping on for a while longer. And there was a point where he was like, he told me he loved me. So I think after having a couple relationships that were not successful and having a relationship, we lived in separate houses and we dated each other. We were monogamous and through the whole relationship we were, that was never an issue. Um, we kind of, we had a good rhythm living in separate houses and having this relationship and our kids together. As a matter of fact, during this period of time, you know, he had a daughter that was five. That is like one of my adopted daughters. She had his, his ex, the woman he had that child with had other kids. She had an older son and a younger daughter that was born while we were together. And she lost them to her drug use in foster care. And she requested that I be the foster parent for them. And I was, and those are two of my extra kids that I had long-term. So that baby I had from three months to four years. And then her son was 10 when I met him and 12 when I took him in foster care and he aged out with me. So, I mean, adding a different dynamic, I was a foster parent as a single mom in my own house, in this relationship with his ex's kids. So, I mean, you Why are know, you telling me this? I don't know. It was a tough, it was a tough relationship overall. And we spent four and a half years together living in separate houses. So of seven years, four and a half years. And at that point I have like his ex's kids and you know, his daughter who started out at five is pretty much living with me full time. And so he's shuttling back and forth between houses. Basically when he needs time alone, he has a house that he can go to, but I have these, I have the kids. Um, and he had an older daughter that was with me a bunch then too. Um, so the dynamic was a little different. There was a lot of separation, I guess, emotionally in that relationship from the beginning, from that nature. And then we decided, he decided, he decided that he loved me and those words were used. And this was a couple of years into this relationship. And then also decided that at some point this would run its course or move forward and moving forward meant moving in together. And moving in together after four and a half years, we had a really good rhythm to the relationship. That was very disruptive. And that's when within, within three months of us moving in together, he had a separate bedroom. Because again, he was used to having a separate house. Um, it was his office, but it had a bed in it and he slept in there most of the time. Um, that attitude of being an addict, so I'm an asshole. And uh, he was more confrontational in personality. And I didn't experience that in my face a lot. We had a really good relationship until we moved in. And being in the same home 24 seven, in three months, I looked at him and I said, we've made a, a huge mistake. But actually we, we had decided to get married. We did go through counseling then. Um, that was good counseling. It was um, enlightening counseling. But after a couple years in that situation, I just looked at him and said, I, I can't do with this anymore. You know, he was a super confrontational personality. So did, did you actually marry him? Yeah, we did get married for that la for the last little 
couple of years. When we moved in, we decided to get married. I think we were doing the whole thing. You know, let's did, just... did you did you think that was a good idea, or did you think that was a band aid that might fix things? I didn't think it was a band aid that might fix things. I thought we kind of did both at the same time. I didn't realize there would be such a difference in our relationship when we moved in and got married. It was a night and day for me. And I know that if we had, if I had been able to emotionally stay in a relationship where we lived in separate houses and it, we loved each other and we were very monogamous, but you have that separation uh, physically and also to some degree emotionally, it, we could have been gone indefinitely. Tell me about the porn with him. It was more photos and I was always aware of it. He liked pictures of women in panties to the point that he chose the panties that I wore. And, and at first it's interesting. It's, um, it's innocuous. You know, it's, it's not like one day you're one day I'm asking permission to vacuum the house. Cause he's, he might not be in a good mood and I might not be able to vacuum the house. It doesn't start out that way. You know, no. it's and insidious. It, it must've seemed almost refreshing after being with a man for so long who wouldn't say anything to have yeah. a guy say, these are the underwear I want you to wear. It, it actually was. We had a great relationship in lots of ways. Um, emotionally more distant, but better in a lot of yeah and he picked him up and you know what as a man or a woman when you have a spouse it's like i would love to see you in this right that's a great thing so he would pick out well, the panties that i wore i mean my, my my wife still picks out all my underwear i don't think it's a, i don't think she has a fetish but i'm just lazy when, <laughs> I, I i'm just lazy when it when, when it comes to buying my own clothes i mean there could be lots of reasons you know yeah. but you know that's something that feels good um we would have sex fairly regularly and then we would go a couple of weeks with nothing the the difference is that it wasn't just like it just didn't happen there were kids and there was stress and some it was it was more like he intentionally uh separated himself um emotionally and physically from me it was a little confusing to me so he's picking out panties now by the end i if we take a shower together i have to have the panties on there's no there i couldn't ever not have them on in front of him it doesn't start out that way it starts out as this great like hey i think these are sexy and they look good on you i it didn't equate it until like i'm never i'm showering in my underwear did you did you ever express that you didn't want to do that yes i did express it and i thought it was odd I, they were on during sex they they were never off and again it doesn't start that way and so the process, it may not seem weird till all of a sudden you're like, you know, right, this right. seems weird. It's, right. It's very insidious. Um, I was also, I mean, that was an issue. I was vacuuming one day and he's like, could you not? And he was pissed. And I was like, okay, so in my mind now, I, now I have to make sure he's in the right mood. I'm asking permission to vacuum. How does that happen? I don't know. Right. But again, it is insidious. It's not like one day things are happy and one day things are abusive. It worms its way in. And I mean, on the final day, I walked in the door and he started an argument. He loved confrontation and I loved conversation. And I just looked at him and said, I'm going to interrupt you. I am no longer willing to have daily confrontations with you about whatever. The issues that you have are with me and or with the kids. So I'm going to make this super easy for you. I'm going to remove 100% of the things that irritate the hell out of you. And I'm going to leave. And he said, I didn't think you got married 
to get divorced. And I said, I didn't think you got married as a license to treat me like shit. So we're both confused. But you did therapy so with him. I did do therapy with him. And it was interesting. It was a different sort of thing. It was interesting. So one of the things in that process, and I really liked it. Um, the man had 25 years experience. And one of the things that he did was did Myers-Briggs which I had done back when I was 17 years old in college. I love personality tests. I think it's, you know, it's just more information. And he had us take the test and we had to come in the next time with like a, a name tag, the sticker, hello, my name is, with our four letters. And we came in with it and sat down and he said, wow, how is that working out for you two? And, you know, he has, he has one of the, most rare or there are fewer percentage of the population that has um, this personality and reading it was very enlightening to me where he actually like doesn't feel in love with me every day it's not something that grows and builds I remember having a conversation with him and he's like I really love you and I was like oh so today today is an I love you day and joking about it having no idea until we went through therapy that like a huge part of his personality is like today he doesn't right. today is a day he doesn't or part of today he doesn't and it, it it was um very enlightening and through this there the therapist actually didn't set me aside he set him aside and he just said the success rate in this personality is the lowest of all personalities now i i was sitting there through this i i don't have that information and he said, and your personality coupled with hers, there's got to be a tremendous amount of friction for you internally and externally. And I'm not sure how to bridge that gap for you. And I remember thinking, okay, like I'm here. <laughs> well, it sounds like someone who wants conflict, you'd be the perfect person to be with because it, you know, it's like having a garden and planting a seed and right the conflict tree grows except i was so i'm i'm so uncomfortable with conflict that i really want to have a conversation and figure out some way we can compromise i don't like the right, no I I, no i i know you don't i'm saying him oh he, if he, yes if he wants somebody who wants con if he's a conflict lover finding your personality type is probably the easiest direction to go down right it was automatically like automatically there's going to be friction so it made it very obvious to us that why we had a good relationship living in separate households and in the way it was structured in the beginning like being friends and then friends with benefits and then kind of it's a friends with benefits that kind of lasted a really really super long time and he could love me on some days and not on others because he had his corner to go and so to speak he had his own house and that when we were in the same building all the time it was not enough of it he couldn't mask those things right right and i just kind of in the end i just said i can't and and then he was really honest he said you know i read somewhere that if you don't have sex for several days that it makes your sex life better and I remember going, okay, sounds so you- like, Sounds like the dopamine fasting pseudoscience. I think exactly. So when yeah. you said that, that, that was like an aha moment. So he would read things, and, but it will only work. One, I don't believe that that works, but two, it might only work if I'm on board. You can't decide that you're right. going to have a sexual fast for two weeks, 10 days, two weeks, whatever, and not let me know 
and but you're okay being kind of a jackass you can be a jerk to me and that like with me i'm on the other end being hung out to dry not having any idea what's going on so we did decide um to split up and we I, I mean, again, these are three people. Every time I have a conversation, I really like them and have great conversations, but I definitely see where. Now, his fetish was in the panties. It was pictures. And he has folders, dozens and dozens of folders with hundreds of pictures in each one. And it was a daily issue for him. And he would find pictures. And he, I mean, not only didn't mind getting caught, I think wanted to get caught looking at them. And he was confrontational with me. Like, if you have a problem with it, that's your problem sort of thing. And I'm like, I don't have an understanding of it. And my panties look like those girls in the picture, except they're looking younger and younger and younger. And what I can tell you is that he, I knew going into this, that he was an addict of drugs and alcohol. And he went through rehab and he went through treatment and he had 10 years clean or whatever when we met. And I know that that's it's so it's so much easier to peg addictive personality traits or whatever in this situation compared to the others because he's an addict in other ways. So pornography is just another one. He's never been diagnosed. Um, I don't think that he cares if he is or not. Has he ever done trauma work? No. And another interesting fact that I found out it's it's amazing the things that come out in the end when things are done that in his NA or NA or AA work, you know, there's 12 steps and he'd never gotten past three. Yeah, that's actually true. Most people fail on three or four. Okay, I see, I I have no, it doesn't mean anything to me. I have no judgment on that. But I do know if you're working a 12 step and you've never made it through 12, you can be clean in that one drug or in that alcohol. And that does not mean you've worked through the issues. And so I felt like some of the issues were with him because they were different could potentially have to do with addictive behaviors in general, not necessarily just in porn, but do I think porn was an issue? Absolutely. But I also think you're right. I mean, until you just said that psycho pseudo, whatever, that starving the dopamine thing. I absolutely think that that was what was going on. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we've done just over an hour, yeah. uh, which I think is enough because I think one of the most important things of this is to give you time to just marinate yeah. and think about everything we talked about. Yeah. Um, and there may be connections you make. If there are any connections before we talk next, write them down because yep. uh, I'd, I'd love to hear them if there are any. Quick funny story Myers-Briggs related. When I was in my, when I was in my second rehab, um, I went to a class um, with 20 people or so, and they brought in their analyst or whoever who did one group a week, and they said she was going to give us some Myers-Briggs tests, and she's given thousands of them, blah, blah, blah. So we all take them, and uh, we're doing our scores in, I don't even remember what they were, but in three of the areas, I tied. And oh my gosh, are you kidding? That's got to be like a one in two. Of, she, she came over and she's because she wanted to and she wanted to move people into different groups in the room. And I said, here are my results. And she just she said, oh, why? I have never seen never. this. I have never seen this. Um, and, That's uh, outstanding. You've got to be yeah. like a case study. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't. And, and the funny thing is, I don't remember what the one category I actually leaned one way or another was. But yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, it, it's one thing to say in front of a bunch of addicts, oh my God, you're different. Um, <laughs> um, as they're going into their little tribes and I'm kind of in the middle of the room going, hey, look at me. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I am a special snowflake. They keep telling us we're not, but I have the results right here. Um, <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. 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 I haven't taken one since then. I'd love to take one now and see if it has, I'm sure it has moved one way or another. I think that there was a lot of, I think number one, I'm crazy analytical. I have almost, yeah. ne I've almost never voted in my life because I don't like taking sides. And when I was a journalist, oh. as a journalist, I have, uh, I, I prided myself on not voting as a journalist because okay. I was one of those journalists who still believed you didn't take sides. You were not liberal. You were okay. not conservative. Correct. You, I, I can tell you why I think conservatives hate the media. I can tell you why liberals like the media. I can tell you a lot of different things about these two personality types having been a very middle of the road journalist. Yeah. Um, but I think that I, I trained myself to almost be I don't want to say average, but to be super, uh, I can go either way with, you know, call, am I, am I an extrovert or an introvert? I don't know. You know, I've got, I've got bipolar disorder. Clearly I live, I live, you know, on well, the edges. I mean, I think that makes a great journalist too, right? Yeah. That you can take middle ground, but you're right. It makes, it's a very, it ends up being a very unique personality. Well, I, I, I can sit there and I can talk to the, you know, horrible rapist murderer. And then I can go into the next room and talk to, you know, his, his victim's family and not feel all that different about either. Just look at it as both, hey, I can learn some stuff and hear some interesting stuff from both groups. And what that's a skill. Yeah, it, it's not great at funerals, but yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> no, it would. Uh, no, it wouldn't be. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the person who says, you know, somebody says he looks peaceful, and I have to now actually really stop myself from saying no, he doesn't look peaceful. He looks nothing, and mm -hmm. and and you know, so so I guess I'm probably better in that. My internal my internal machinations keep my mouth shut more than they used to. Um, but so that, yeah, that's my, my Myers-Briggs story is that wow. I, uh, I was a uh, absolute freak when it came to that. Um, thank you for sharing these uh, three relationships that really helps me understand more. Um, and I think I know where I want to go next time, but I'm not going to tell you because okay. I don't want you to come back with an agenda. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope that this was okay for you. I hope that there wasn't uh, too many rough spots. Seemed like you were okay with it. No, there weren't. And I'm, I thought there were going to be, and I'm, I'm really thankful, but there, there were aha moments. And I love that. That, yep. that helps. You can't, I can't necessarily go back and do much about what's already happened, but the aha moments do help. Perspective is huge though. It is huge. So I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to it. And okay. Well, we will talk again next time. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, until then, um, 
you know, I appreciate you doing this with me. And I hope that the people who are watching, you know, if there is any interest in going down this road yes. with me, I, I do this, uh, I do this on uh, Skype. I do this on Zoom. Uh, you can wear a shirt if you want. <laughs> you don't uh, have to be the naked pot podcast. No, nope, you don't. You don't. Um, and uh, I also do it via email. There are some people who aren't comfortable doing it on uh doing like an hour to an hour and a half on a cam. So what I'll actually do is we'll exchange like three emails that allow me to uh, do this kind Perfect. of stuff. Perfect. So there are a lot and of that's, options. That's, that's kind of, uh, instead of one video session, we do three, you know, email sessions because, you know, for the back and forth aspect of it. So if anybody's interested in that, visit me at recoveringpornatic.com. And the next time that uh, we do this, I think you'll start to see more of these connections in other areas of your life. We're going to be jumping around a lot more. Good. Um, and, and again, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see where things go. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was fun.